In this episode of the HomeMusicStudio1.com podcast, we're going to talk about three things that you can do to create an analog sound in a digital world, so don't go anywhere. Hello everyone, Dave Maxey here uh, with HomeMusicStudio1.com and the podcast here. Thanks a lot for joining me once again today. And uh, you're officially listening now to episode number 16. And uh, this is the show where you can learn how to produce professional audio and you can do that on any size budget. And so welcome, uh, pull up a chair, pay attention as you're driving, uh, lay down and relax, throw your earbuds in, whatever you're doing. Thanks a lot for joining me here today. And in just a minute, we're going to deal with a question that uh, that came in today from Jason Rumley. I'm going to read uh, you that question here in a little bit, but we're going to talk about three things that you can do in answer to his question, uh, three things that you can do to produce an analog sound uh, or emulate that even in a digital environment. And so we will get there. But I want to start out today as uh, as I've just been in the habit of doing and just thanking all of you who have been uh, in support of the show and support of the blog and the, and the downloads, the interaction with me. Um, I thank you very, very much for that. I want to do things just a little bit different today. Uh, many of you are on Facebook, I know, because you've found our, our page, and I want to highlight the most recent likes that we have had to our page. And hey, if you haven't headed over there yet, head on over to facebook.com forward slash home music studio one. That's the number one. And uh, you can join in on the conversation, click like, and that'll that's another way to connect with me and what we're doing here uh, in just the fresh and latest information. But just want to do a quick shout out to our most recent likes to the Facebook page, starting with uh, with Dale uh, Jankuneus. And uh, Dale, I'm sure I'm massacring your last name, and I do apologize about that, but uh, welcome at least for the very much. Thank you for liking the page and to being part of the community. Uh, Trevor White is, uh, is another one here. We've got Der- uh, Diedrich Cope, uh, Eon Iro Salzar, I believe, uh, Michael Garcias, Dave Lepard, Mark Padilla, uh, Peter Simon Jr., uh, Jessica Blair uh, Herricks Booth, Troy Peterson, Jeff Wilmore, Scott Geeden, Robin Banks, uh, Joel Samuels, Eon Burt, uh, Nick Leader, Wes Westwood, and uh, the list kind of does go on and on. But those guys, uh, you you are the most recent likes to the page. Thank you very, very much for being part of the community and uh, just uh, joining in with us. I, I want to encourage you to continue to give me your feedback, give me your questions, give me your interaction, and uh, you know we can help each other out the more we interact. And with that, that uh, reminds me, if you haven't yet signed up for the newsletter, why not join the community that is growing of literally hundreds of people uh, that are newsletter subscribers that are getting fresh and, uh, and exclusive content on a weekly basis. And so you can do that by heading on over to homemusicstudio1.com 
forward slash free gift. And uh, the reason that is a free gift is just uh, as a thank you for signing up to the newsletter and and, uh, just becoming part of the community. I have put together a free ebook that deals with one of the the most frequently asked questions I get, and that is uh, about audio compression. So just for signing up to the newsletter, won't cost you a thing. I'll send you a link to download the free ebook, Understanding Compression in the Home Music Studio. And uh, in that, uh, I've tried to break down a lot of answers of of just kind of compression one one and what that begins to look like. And uh, that can be a real powerful tool in your home studio recording arsenal. So you're going to want to get that and uh, love to have you part of the community. Again, that link is homemusicstudio1.com and uh, you can head on over to that and, uh, and, um, Put your email in there, and I'll get that link out to you right away. And uh, then you'll be on board and uh, taking your first steps to be part of the community. And uh, we welcome you uh, absolutely to do that. Uh, With that, um, I also want to thank those of you who have filled out and given me your feedback about a survey that I put out online. Working on lots of new cool stuff in the new year, 2013, and uh, I, you know, I'm just very excited about uh, what we've got in store. And uh, in order to make sure that I'm continuing to address the needs that you have uh, in in answering questions that uh, you're actually asking, it's very important for me to uh, to just have the information um, that you know to to know what you're dealing with, to know what you're going through. And so I put together a little survey, very short. Uh, I think we've only got about six questions on there. And if you haven't got a chance to chime in yet, head on over to the blog and you can do that, uh, homemusicstudio1.com. And the question really that I'm asking of you is what would your ideal home recording training be right now? And uh, you know what? Uh, many, many of you have answered that question and, and kind of dealing with the survey there. Extremely valuable information that you've given me, some amazing suggestions. And I thank those of you that have answered the survey so far. Uh, for those of you that haven't had a chance to sign in, I'm going to leave that up just for a few more days. And so uh, you can head on over there right now and answer that question. It wouldn't take you any, barely any time at all. Uh, six short questions that help you kind of sort out what would your ideal home recording training be right now. And so uh, I want to encourage you to do that if you haven't done that yet. And um, with that, let's head where I want to get in today. I'm going to answer a question uh, that came in from uh, one of our listeners, Jason Rumley. And uh, Jason has an excellent question, uh, and his suggestion was, hey, this might even make a a good podcast or a good uh, episode. And Jason, I completely agree with you, and uh, that's where we're going to head today. So let me read you what Jason wrote uh, just a few days ago. Uh, He says, hey, Dave, I was catching up on some of the podcasts today and finally thought of a good question I could ask you. From listening to your podcast so far, my mixes are sounding fuller, my vocals don't drown into the mix, and I'm working on figuring out that darn EQ. I have had friends who will try to get an analog or tape sound by running final mixes out onto a tape recorder, then back into their DAW or their recording software. Uh, While I'm not against doing that, I notice that they have an undesirable hum by doing so. Is there any way that you know of to get a warm tape sound in the final mix or even a single track using digital tools? 
I'd love to have that warm kind of sound on my EP, and I think this would be a great topic for a podcast. Anyway, thanks for the help, Jason. Uh, Well, Jason, thank you so much for um, just your question. Great question, and uh, I want to deal with that in today's episode. I want to give you three things that uh, I think will help you be well on your way if you're really after that analog tone in your digital mixes. Uh, In order to get there, Let me give you just a little bit of background, kind of come from where I've come from. Uh, If you're newer to recording, uh, this may help you out just a little bit to understand exactly what Jason is referring to. Um, I originally, in the early 90s, is when I started into this recording deal. I was leading a band at the time, uh, doing a lot of original songs, kind of touring the local circuit there and just doing different things. Uh, and, And I got into recording just kind of by default, and eventually that led to being uh, the manager of a very small developing analog studio back in those days that was created from an organization that helped local bands. And I was uh, one of the bands that were just being helped. Uh, what this organization would do would, would just provide gear uh, in, in kind of the small studio environment for us to cut our demos with and uh, just give us some things that were very helpful, uh, provide some resources as an organization that a lot of the local bands just didn't have available. And so uh, I ended up being uh, kind of the manager of this small studio. And in this studio, we had an analog recorder by Fostech. And our, our gear was built on an eight-track analog recording that actually went to these things. Maybe you've heard about them on the History Channel. They were called cassette tapes, okay? <laughs> and uh, cassette tape uh, is just, you know, some of you know what a cassette tape is, hopefully. Uh, you know, most of us maybe remember those days. Uh, cassette uh, was a magnetic signal, okay? It went on the tape, and this uh, multi-track recorder had the ability to record four simultaneous tracks, and then you could take those tracks and bump them down to the back side of the tape, uh, and then you could record an additional four for a total of, get this, eight entire tracks at once. How amazing was it uh, at the, the time of the early days of my recording? But that whole entire system was not in a computer. Uh, it, wasn't, uh, it didn't have any digital anything at all that was completely an analog uh, mixer that we use. We use complete analog gear. Uh, all our mics was analog preamps, compression, the whole nine, running through a board, would eventually use direct outs from that board, went right into this recorder, and then actually we would do a lot of the mixing then on this Fostec re- uh, recorder. And uh, so those were the days of analog. And uh, what uh, Jason is referring to is uh, if you were, uh, you know, really producing things at that time, you might have access to a reel-to-reel. The larger the magnetic tape uh, tended to be, uh, the, the, the more smoother the sound was and the, the higher quality the sound. So obviously guys at that time that were in the real hardcore studios, the more professional setups at that time, um, had, had more gear, but that ultimately was, in general, was all analog gear, okay? It was, it was magnetic. It wasn't ones and zeros going into a computer. Uh, it was magnetic uh, audio signals being captured onto a magnetic tape and um, your your equipment running through analog board analog preamps ultimately coming into an analog recorder whether it was a reel-to-reel or something smaller like that I was dealing with all of it combined had this very unique sound this very unique uh, tone to it uh, having to do with the speed that it was recorded and played back at um, there were certain tones and frequencies when it came to your levels and certain background noise that was just naturally part 
of the analog process that some of those things are not represented today. Uh, it had to, you know, there were certain harmonics and certain, um, what we would have termed saturation, which is kind of this a little bit of grit, this little bit of breakup that would kind of be represented. And, and you could kind of push your signals just to that sweet spot where it wasn't crazy audible, but it actually uh, kind of added to the whole uh, genre of what was happening. It was just part of the analog feel. Now, very shortly after I began to kind of cut my teeth on that, uh, I had a friend tell me, hey, did you hear about these new cool things they have now? They're called compact discs. Okay, it's like a little disc, similar to the days of the big fat laser disc movies we used to watch, but it's smaller. And, uh, you know, you can get your music on there. You can literally jump from one track to another without having to forward anything. And I remember the first time I heard a CD, uh, I was listening to a system and I was blown away by the fact that in between each song, there was no static. It was amazing to me. And uh, shortly thereafter, um, as we began to kind of realize that uh, there was a lot that was going to happen in this digital era, it wasn't too long where everybody and their brother found out that you could get an actual CD burner for a computer and uh, they had kind of the earlier audio interfaces, the digital audio interfaces, uh, that if you could get your music into a two-track on a computer, you could make your own CDs. And we were rolling uh, high on the hog in those days when we came out with our own CD burners, got that installed in your system. And uh, entry, the day of, of the digital era, was really exploding at that time. And uh, the truth is, I say all that to say I really kind of cut my teeth originally on analog, but uh, really quickly moved into the digital realm. And uh, I am just a, I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that uh, back in the day, you know, the people that were really used to analog that could mix my brains out, okay? Uh, you know, I, I kind of thought, ah, they're just kind of old school. Yeah, they've been around for a while, but this is the new thing. And, uh, you know, there are truth to that, but uh, the reality was, you know, there's good and bad of, of both. And uh, some guys today are just really, uh, really kind of love that analog sound, and that's where they want to go. That's what they want to try and produce. But yet, we've got a lot of these new features and options available to us just by virtue of having the digital uh, audio workstation. Now, when we get sound in and on a computer, we can manipulate that sound in so many different ways than what we were able to do back in the day of analog. In my personal experience, is I, I like the analog sound. I like the cleanness to it. Uh, I, I like the ability to do a lot of the things that I've had experience to be able to do in manipulating my uh, my tracks and so on and so forth. But yet I do recognize that there's a certain amount of warmth, a certain amount of sonic energy, of tones, of, uh, of uh, saturation, kind of that little bit of grit that happens that can really only be achieved uh, in full in an analog setup. And so all that, to, to get back to Jason's question, is there's some things that we can do if you're really after that analog sound, but yet you're using a digital environment, you've got a, a digital audio workstation, a, uh, uh, you know, an audio interface into your computer, what can you do? Well, I want to give you three things that I can think of right off the bat. Uh, this is not an all-inclusive list. I'm sure there's more. And uh, if you got more, hey, throw them on in the comments. I'd love to hear them. But uh, I want to give you three things that will help you produce an analog sound even in a digital world, okay, even in a digital environment. And uh, uh, the first thing that I want to mention is exactly what Jason mentioned in his uh, in his uh, uh, message here, in his email. And he, you know, he basically says, hey, some of his friends have ran their final mixes down into tape and then back into their DAWs again or their DAWs. 
Uh, and you know, Jason, that is actually one way that I would say, um, yeah, that that's a great idea. Um, whether they're getting buzz in in their recordings or not, uh, there's some factors that play into that. The unit that they're recording with, what kind of cables are they using? Uh, is it a balanced signal or not a balanced signal? Are they getting some kind of ground loop issues in there? Are their levels being properly set when they're going into the recorder? Um, all those things. So there are some factors to consider whether that background buzz is there or not. But one of the characteristics of analog actually has to do with a lot of, of sometimes it's noise, okay, that, that is just there and there's just this softness to it uh, a lot of times that the digital realm won't happen. Uh, or won't produce very easily. Uh, it just can. It's just a total different environment. But there are some things we can do to kind of emulate that and to add that back into our mixes. And the first thing I would say is uh, is think about maybe running some of your uh, your master mixes through analog gear. Uh, or even some of your individual tracks through an analog or a tube preamp. Sometimes you can get a warmer tone doing it that way. And, uh, you know, digital, um, you know, it, it tends to be able to capture some of those nuances that come just from that analog. And so I would say this, uh, your, your friends are on the right track for certain. Uh, that is definitely one way to do those things, considering um, if you've got an analog mixer laying around. You might be able to take a, a, a feed, your master mix, a two-track mix, go into that analog mixer and uh, get your level set nice and uh, right around that zero dB on your peak and then bring that back into your digital audio workstation. And a lot of times that going out into an analog unit and back in again can add some of that softness, some of that warmth back to it as well. Uh, definitely doing a mix down to tape. And then back to, uh, you know, your, your DAWs can also create the same thing. Anytime you can add kind of a piece of analog gear in there, uh, there's a chance that you're definitely going to get a little bit of that analog sound added to part of the process. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's, if that's really the end product that you're after, that softness, that warmth that, that sometimes is only found in analog. So number one, I would say uh, use some kind of analog gear, run your, your master mix maybe predominantly through that and back in again, uh, even maybe a preamp. On, on some individual channels can help as well. And, uh, you know, not a bad idea whatsoever. Um, definitely that would be step number one that I can think of. And I would agree with your friends. If they want to avoid that background hum, uh, maybe check the cables, make sure there's a, a proper level. Uh, and it has to do with the kind of the quality of recorder you're using. If you got access to an old school reel to reel, the bigger the tape, the better quality sound in general you're going to get. Um, that said, I don't want to forget as well, uh, I came across a great article this week when we talk about this analog warmth. Uh, if you're out there and you're listening and you just want a lot more in-depth information than what I've explained, uh, you know, I'm not a mathematician, okay, and, and there's, some, uh, there's some very technical things that are happening in the digital realm that are different than what's happening in the digital environment. Uh, I'm going to put a link to uh, an article that I found from the soundonsound.com website talking about analog warmth. I'll throw this in the show notes. Uh, and you might find that a little bit helpful to just get a little more uh, understanding if that's your uh, your interest. So I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, it goes into a lot more depth than what I can. Uh, so number one, use some type of analog gear. If you want to help create that, that analog flair, that analog flavor, use some type of analog gear. Run your stuff through that and even back into your DAWs. And you may find that you're, you're going to add some of that warmth to that that you're looking for. Great idea there, uh, Jason. Uh, and in order to eliminate that buzz, just be careful about the cables you're using and the device uh, you know, you're running your stuff through. Uh, a lot of times that buzz uh, isn't necessarily part of the analog deal. Mostly it's more related to kind of a 
background noise, a saturation, uh, but you usually can avoid some type of unwanted hum if you do things properly. Uh, the number two thing that I can think of that will really help create this analog sound in a digital world is this. Um, don't make everything absolutely perfect. Now, what do I mean by that? One of the things we kind of overlook is in this new digital era, you can sing a track 17 times and then chop that baby up and take the best of all of those cuts and, and come out with one absolutely perfect uh, you know, a track that has been really chopped up in many places. You just took the best of each one. Now, you can do that in digital, but I would question, is that really the best thing to do? Uh, especially you guys and gals that are, you know, you're, you're out playing and you're doing live stuff. Uh, you know, if you can't produce it live with some practice, I question if maybe you uh, shouldn't really record it in that fashion. Now, I get that there's sometimes we use auto-tune for an effect or there's certain types of music, uh, you know, that just lend themselves uh, house music, techno, uh, you know, you name it, hip hop that lend themselves more to a program sound. And there's nothing wrong with that. But my my perspective is this. If you want to create an analog sound, remember Back in the day, we didn't have the ability, uh, you know, to uh, to a lot of times it was just one take from start to finish. And uh, the later on, as the units got uh, you know a little more advanced, we we had the ability to punch in and out. We could take a section, and and the recorder would record from this time to that time, and you could punch a little section out, but. But a lot of times it was just easier and it came out better in the end. Uh, it was smoother a lot of times just to do a take from start to finish. Uh, if you were singing a vocal man, you just had to sing that baby on pitch as much as you could. Uh, and to fix it with auto-tune in those days really wasn't an option. So part of the analog sound had to do with how it all fit together. Uh, you know, if you had some buzz in your, your guitar pickup before uh, the lead solo kicked in and you brought your volume up, you were going to record that buzz and there was little you could do about it uh, in order to, uh, you know, not have it part of the mix. That was just part of the overall sound. Some of the older classic rock stuff that we listen to just has that noise on there. And, uh, you know, we love it. It's just part of the era. It's part of how things sounded. So I would say this, if you want to help create an analog sound, um, stay away from really heavy quantity things like making every note perfect in your MIDI, uh, you know, play it live. Uh, play it through MIDI if you want to use your, your actual synth instruments for the sake of the sound, but uh, do it in a few takes and uh, practice up and do it well and don't quantize it so that everything is exactly perfect, uh, you know, to the, you know, to the triplet 16th note or whatever. Um, you know, leave a little breathing room in there for the human experience, for the natural ability of people to play as they would if you were just playing, okay? Uh, a lot of times that can help kind of create that aura and that feel. Uh, avoid using auto-tune unless you're after that really, you know, uh, effect there, the share thing that she kind of used uh, the first time that that was really popular of auto-tune. That's fine if you're after the effect, but but uh, I would avoid using things like auto-tune to correct your uh, inability to sing on pitch as opposed to just practicing or whoever you're recording, uh, give them a good reference tone of whatever that rhythm tone is, uh, help them learn to sing on pitch. And you know what? Uh, those little tiny imperfections in the whole project contribute to that overall analog feel. Even though it's not a, a change in the tone, it is a change in the whole feel of the project. 
I've said it many, many times. Remember, the end result is a is a sum of all of these little things that we do right. You want an analog sound. Remember, we created those sounds in the day, how they were created. A lot of times, we just played it and uh, is, we just took the best take from start to finish, and there was no preparing or fixing it, I guess I would say, in the digital environment. It was what it was. And uh, you want to really create an analog sound, that is one thing that can help, and that will go a long ways, coupled with maybe running uh, some of your, your stuff through uh, analog gear. Uh, okay, last thing I want to say is this, uh, and I know, Jason, this was probably uh, what you were originally asking in your question, uh, because Jason mentions, you know, is there uh, is there a way in a digital environment using some kind of digital tool to create these analog sounds? And uh, I do have something that I want you to check out, Jason. Uh, Ferric TDS is a great plugin. Into I'm going to put the link to this in the show notes uh, as well. Which, uh, by the way, if you're listening to the podcast on iTunes, uh, it'll it'll be right there in the description of. Of, uh, of this episode, and you can head on over to down this plugin, uh, download this plugin. Uh, this was actually in the KVR Audio uh, in 2009. They had a competition, and uh, this was a plugin that was created uh, in one actually in 2009. It's a VST plugin, downloaded absolutely free, Ferric TDS. And here's what this is designed to do: it was designed to emulate some of that saturation, some of the harmonics, and some of the the tones that were created only by, only by using analog gear and eventually going back to you know magnetic tape in the analog days this plugin uh, was designed to kind of emulate uh, and I think it does it very well some of those sounds that that were uh, in the analog feel but it's a plugin that you can use throw it on a master mix if you want you could even use it on, on some of your individual tracks if you want but I want you uh, to hear a little bit of what this plugin is doing again ferric TDS I will put the link to where you can download this in the show notes uh, and um, you know this this is a this is a great little plugin. Got a lot of uses. I can uh, I can see definitely to do what you're asking, Jason. And what I like about it is uh, there's some really great presets that'll that'll really get you started. Let me let you hear a, a little take of what I have. This is a song you've you've heard me in demonstration before. Uh, a little piece of this. I want to play it. This is with the Ferric TDS turned off, and then uh, I want to turn this on. And, and there's actually two different settings. One is a classic tape preset, and then a modern tape preset. Set. Uh, great little plugin. I'm going to uh, let you play a little of this, let you hear a little of this without it so you can hear what we're working with. And then I'm going to do a little A-B test for you so you can hear what this plugin is doing. So here we go. You are my everything. Because you are my everything. Okay, uh, let me back that up a little bit to here so you can hear a little more of this piece here. This is without the Ferric TDS plugin, and then I'll do an A-B test for you. And I breathe more than hope, more than peace. You are my everything. Okay, so what I've got is I've got a session open in Sonar, uh, and this is just a two-track output of what this final mix came to be. This is not a mastered mix or anything like that. Uh, this is just a, the final mix of this particular track that I put together. And uh, I'm going to let you hear this now. I'm going to turn this on and I'm going to use the modern tape preset. And uh, you might hear a little glitch in the audio as this goes on and off so that you can hear the difference between the bypassed and the on mode. Uh, but let me let you hear exactly what this is doing. Now there's some very subtleties that this is adding, but this is definitely, if you're used to those analog days, this is adding a warmth 
forth in uh, in some some analog tone sonic uh, you know frequency some saturation some harmonics and some things that you wouldn't normally hear in some other uh, you know digital gear and so I'm telling you what this is a very useful plugin so let me kick it on for you here it is with on the same same little spot here with the plugin on. Here's bypassed. Okay, so uh, here we go one more time. This is with it off, and then I'll kick it on again. Okay, with it on now. More than hope, more than peace. You are my everything. You are my okay, uh, hopefully in the MP3 version of this, you can actually hear the difference in there. I'm telling you what, it, it it's, uh, it's a subtle change, but uh, there's some adjustments on here. This plugin, there's a dynamic uh, uh, selection, uh, which gives you just kind of an adjustment of a really light, what would be more like a mastering uh, compression, which can be very helpful. There's a saturation knob on there, and the saturation lends itself more to adding that kind of grit, that little bit of dirt that was very uh, unique to kind of the, the tape environment, the analog environment as well. Uh, this has a limiter built into it. Um, it has, uh, as far as um, some different other features in there, there's some really cool stuff that this will do. So I want to encourage you to check this out, Jason, and anyone else, if you're really after that analog sound, this is one tool uh, that is absolutely free as a VST plugin that can be very helpful. Uh, that was uh, just using the modern tape preset, but there's several other presets in there as well as obviously you can tweak this on your own. Uh, and I would encourage you to do that and, and maybe spend a little time with this plugin and uh, you may find that that'll be exactly what you're looking for. I think it's got a lot of uses for it as well. Again, I'll make sure to have the link to exactly where to download uh, the Ferric TDS in uh, in the show notes there. You can uh, see that right in the description. And uh, so we've got three things uh, that'll help you on your journey to creating that analog sound in a digital world. Uh, number one, um, you know, just if you've got any kind of analog gear, run your run your master mix through an analog board and, and even or even bump it down to an analog tape recorder if you've got access to that or a reel to reel. And then even back into your DAW again, your your recording software can add just that little warmth to it that is only found in analog. Number two, don't make everything absolutely pitch perfect, absolutely quantized perfect. Leave room for normalcy, leave room for human error. And I'm not suggesting you play things wrong on purpose. But, uh, you know, those little bit of discrepancies in there that weren't exactly perfect, those are the things back in the day that, that made the project what it was. And so I encourage you, if you really are after that analog feel, then head down that direction, do the best you can with your takes, but don't worry about everything being exactly perfect. And number three, here's a plugin that may very well help you, the Ferric TDS. I'll put a link to this in the show notes and uh, can be a very, uh, very powerful tool to kind of go a long ways to creating that analog sound in a 
the digital world. Uh, with that, hey, let me remind you one more time, uh, if you haven't joined the hundreds of us that are part of the community of the newsletter subscribers, head on over to homemusicstudio1.com forward slash free gift and I throw your email in there and I'll get that free ebook out to you entitled Understanding Compression in the Home Music Studio. And if you haven't uh, yet chimed in on the survey, you can do that as well and answer the question, what would your ideal uh, home recording training look like right now? In fact, that'll, that post is still on the blog. Uh, we'll be there just for a little bit. We'll leave that survey open and you can give me your thoughts there. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, with that, uh, why not give us a review in iTunes if you haven't already done so. Uh, give us a rating that helps other people find the show so that we can uh, you know, and keep doing what we're doing here. Thank you so much for all your support and all your feedback. And until next time, this is Dave Maxey with a Home Music Studio 1.com podcast. 